tonight, Proverbs 23. And if you could turn one other place, Matthew chapter 7. Proverbs 23 and Matthew chapter 7. Starting with verse 1, just get a flavor. There's 35 verses. I can't read them all right here, but we'll try and get through as much as we can. Verse 1, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, why don't you stand as we read the Word of God either. We'll stand and... Now you're going to be full energy. See, you were so, only, I only heard Matthew, so I know everybody needs to wake up. Get you all woke up so you could actually leave here, go out for an evening run tonight. So it doesn't get dark until 8 something tonight. Ride your bike. We are not doing that last night till, till the sunset. It was nice. Uh, it's, it's one thing that I love about this time of year. When you guys get out of here tonight, you still got like, like uh, another 40 minutes of sunlight. And then when we get later in the summer, you get almost an hour and 40 minutes of sunlight, which is really nice. So, uh, verse, and the reason why I'm having you, I read in, uh, um, a few minutes ago, I turned to my Bible and said, She stood at Jesus' feet. I said, Lord, let's just stand at your feet right now. Let's just stand at your feet. And then we'll pray together. Let's read these two passages. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1. When you sit down with a ruler, sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat. How about that for a warning? If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Starting with verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for this time in your word. Uh, Lord, we just stand at your feet. We come, Lord, we want to just bow before you now and worship you. We ask that you cleanse us, Lord, from anything we brought into this room. Wash us, empty us, fill us, speak to us. Those that are watching online, Lord, minister to them as well. And Lord, may you just uh, help me to convey what you want conveyed by the Spirit. For Lord, I don't want to get in the way, but just want to be a conduit to what you want to speak to your people. And if anyone doesn't know you tonight, they would make themselves available to come and know you as their Lord and Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you all know, um, the master theme of Proverbs, we haven't been in a while, so just the master theme is wisdom, right? Everybody probably knows that. The Scriptures tell us plainly that God alone is wise. God alone. Three times it says that in the New Testament, by the way. Therefore, all wisdom comes from God to us. It doesn't come from CNN, it doesn't come from Fox News, it doesn't come from Twitter, Lord knows it doesn't come from Twitter, it doesn't come from Facebook or anywhere else. All wisdom comes from God. And we're by nature unwise. Hate to break that to everybody. We are all by nature, me, you, everyone, the toddlers, the babies, the 
teens over there, we're all by nature unwise, and we're easily misled by our own feelings, our own wants, and the course of this world, and the sway of Satan. So all of these things, we, we, we not only have our own selves to deal with, we've got all this other stuff. And all the way back to the garden, basic but life-giving instructions were given, but they were ignored, right? God says, here's what you need to do to live forever. Let's do this instead. You've seen these memes where people are looking at Adam and Eve like, really? You did that to us? But we would have done the same thing, right? When Jesus came, though, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus, He was the eternal Word, speaking directly to all of mankind as the Savior, as well as to us as His church, because He's our shepherd. Furthermore, one of Jesus' names is, you know, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And he's the very one who designed us, created us, gave us our purpose, and gives us perfect counsel and instruction for living. He has both the authority and the wisdom that we desperately need. Desperately need. At which point we either believe and follow his instructions, which is what faith and obedience is, believe and follow. The just will live by what? Faith. Or instead, we do what we want to do. What people around us are doing. Whatever they're accepting around us. Whatever society is doing. Or whatever we feel like doing. And Jesus describes both scenarios, doesn't he? The passage we read in Matthew 7. He says, there's two scenarios. There's only two scenarios according to Jesus. You're building on one of two foundations. There's not a third foundation. There's not a fourth foundation. You're building on one of two. It's either following his instructions and counsel. It's like building a structure that's anchored to an immovable rock. That's what I want to be anchored to. How about you? Those of you online. Following our feelings, our wants, and the course of this world around us is like building a structure anchored to sand. You ever build a sandcastle at the beach? The tide comes in. Oh, the work. It looked gorgeous. There's no saving it once the waves come. You can try and get in the way of it and say, I'm going to block the waves. They go right through your toes, right through your bathing suit, everything. There's no stopping that. Building on sand, a foundation that will eventually, over time, it will shift and eventually it will crumble. I have my concerns about some of the architecture in Dubai and things like that that are built all on sand. That's just, just me. Uh, when I look at all that, I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Bible warns about this. But um, if you're taking notes, you saw the title, Instructions to Follow and Build On. And build on. I don't want to just follow them. I want to build on them. I hope you do as well. I've mentioned this a number of times, but Proverbs, um, when you're teaching through the book of Proverbs, it requires some different approaches than teaching, say, one of the Gospels or one of the Epistles or one of the Law and Prophet books, Psalms. Now, uh, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, they're all wisdom and poetry books. This is one of those four. 
They have similar considerations, but Proverbs is even still broken out a little bit different. Things are not always linear in the, uh, in the comparisons, which is called parallelism, and they can change quickly. You can change subjects on the next sentence, right? You ever seen that? You're like, hey, we're, I thought we were here, and Solomon changed topics real quickly. So for this evening, let me give a, a, a multi-theme overview of this chapter, and then we'll move through the sections and glean the practical insights and warnings just as they're presented. Um, 35 verses I mentioned in chapter 23. Uh, I've highlighted under this umbrella here of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. When I think about uh, my life, your life as believers, everything is guided by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that He's given us. Word of God, Holy Spirit. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm not saved, but if I have the Holy Spirit, He then illuminates the Word of God and the Word is the lamp into my, le- lamp into my feet and a light unto my path and yours as well. So we have these four there's other themes, but I'm just kind of breaking them down into those four discipline, discernment, desires, and direction. And so you'll kind of see those kind of resurface all throughout the verses that we'll get to this evening. And all of these are found throughout the entire book of Proverbs as well. You say, well, is that just chapter 23? No, you'll see this repetitive all throughout Proverbs. Underneath of these themes are more specific issues, which we'll touch on some of them tonight, uh, related to our sin nature such as money, not just sin nature, but life, life or sin nature. And our, our life and our sin nature intersect all the time, right? So we have money, covetousness, gluttony, lust, alcohol consumption, among others that uh, are mentioned in this chapter. Understand that we need God's discipline in our life. Amen? I don't like it all the time, but I always realize, wow, Lord, I did need that switch that you just hit me with. We need God's discipline in our lives. And we need to become disciplined in our lives. Did you catch that? We need God's discipline and we need to become disciplined in our spiritual walk with the help of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, that umbrella over the top there. Word of God, Holy Spirit. Raymond Edmonds said this, he was Billy Graham's um, uh, university president way back when he was at Wheaton College back in the, I don't remember what years it was, but he said, without discipline, we are not disciples. Without discipline, we are not disciples. We need discipline. And Solomon does a lot of kind of reinforcing discipline. He says, my son, my son, my son, because not all discipline is a whack upside the rear end. A lot, most discipline is teaching, instruction, correction, even encouragement. So let's start right into verses 1 and 3. We already read them. Interesting passage, right? Put a knife to your throat. You may want to think of that metaphorically. If you do that at a dinner party, people will really think you're weird, right? I put a knife to my throat so I don't eat all the stuff that's in front of me here. But it's a spiritual truth here. Turning back to these first three verses, uh, we'll move through with some insights and application appreciation for all these things. Solomon starts off in these th- three verses, when you sit down with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you're a man or woman given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Deceptive food. Interesting term there. Solomon starts off these first few verses with self-control, discernment, and the fact that we are to be set apart 
set apart. We don't do whatever society is doing. Deceptive food is really just deceptive things, period, out there. The picture is not, um, the picture here is not to be led by what appeals to our flesh. It's not as much about food here as it is about following God in spite of what people think. Well, everyone else at the table is gorging on this, shouldn't I? But, but the picture is not really the food, it's the things of the world. Everyone else is feasting on the things of the world. You say, no, Jesus said this way, he goes, if your hand caused you to sing, sin, cut it off. You think Jesus knew about Proverbs? Of course he did. He was using a similar, he's not really asking you to cut your hand off. He's showing you this is, uh, the severity of the things that tempt us. We're not to be moved or influenced by peer pressure or flattery or a desire to fit in or our personal pride. It's the world that is deceptive. The pressure to conform to the world so that we can either get ahead or get what we want, it's always deceptive. We're to be led by the Spirit. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. I told you we're going to move right on through. Verse 4 and 5, do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. This is pretty straightforward. Do not make the pursuit of wealth and possessions your aim in life. Do not make that the aim of your life. This is a little harder to discern in our nation. Why do I say that? Well, we have the richest standard of living the world has ever seen for an entire population, yet we complain constantly as a country. You'd think we have nothing. We have the richest standard of living of any country in the world, top to bottom. I know that at other times there's people richer than us that were in the aristocracy of society, but our, even our middle class lives like the aristocracy of 200 years ago. So keeping up our overworking to be rich is really not the same in this country. We're not overworking to be uh, Jeff Bezos or uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk. We're not trying, most people aren't trying to be that. They wouldn't mind it. They're not trying to get to that. Instead, most people's overworking in this country is to keep up with the neighbors to keep up with the co-workers, to keep up with the, you know, whoever's their peer in society. And in many ways, this has become a substitute in our country. Well, I'm not overworking to be rich. I just want to be even or a little bit better than my peer group, which Jesus would say, where did you get that idea is a good thing. Because that will cause you to be off the rails just as much as trying to become a billionaire whatever status or security that we're looking for. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money, the New Testament, Paul warning the church, we're the church, warning Chesterfield County, Henrico, Richmond, <laughs> Hanover, you name it, uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not every evil, all kinds of evil. That up on the screen here. For which some have strayed from the faith. Strayed from the faith. They used to be in the faith. They used to be, man, I want to see people saved. Now they're like, man, I want to see a better car than I have, 
I want, a, I want a swimming pool in the backyard. I want this. I want that. I'm not saying all those things are evil, but I'm saying if that's becoming your pursuit, you've got to check your heart. I have to. All of us do. Paul's warning all of us. They've strayed from the faith in their greediness. You, we can have a greedy spirit and, and we're not seeing it. And others might see it and say, wow, I don't remember them being this way. Before you know it, they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here's a simple heart check. Those of you online as well, those of you listening online, if you have no time to serve the Lord and no time to be in a fellowship and no time to be in discipleship, there is a problem. There's a definite problem. And you have a solution here. <laughs> Solomon puts it, puts it straight out. He says, understand and cease. Solomon, aren't you going to give us more than that? He says, stop it. What are you thinking? Understand your condition and cease. And by the way, certainly riches can fly away real quick. The Great Depression could happen all over again. Remember when um, Enron folded like, like a house of cards? People lost everything. No matter what you put your trust in, it could be gone. I don't care who you are or what it is. You know, if nothing else, your own soul could you know, build a bigger barn and all of a sudden, boom, tonight your soul is required of you. Moving on, verses 6 through 8. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit it up and waste your pleasant words. Verses 6 through 8 here. Uh, this counsel is also related to money. This is for the individual that may not be nonstop busy acquiring money and possessions, but they have adopted the Ebenezer Scrooge approach to their wallet. They're not trying to get rich, but boy, you get pry a dollar away from them to help someone else, and they're not feeling it. They never open it unless it's to spend it on themselves. And even that, they're petrified of. Selfish, lacking generosity is the opposite of God. Wouldn't you agree? God is a generous God. It's the opposite of God to be selfish and greedy. Even if you're not trying to get rich, say, I'm not trying to get rich, but no one can have what I have. This is my, you sit down and you invite them to dinner, but I really don't want them to eat it. Have the right attitude. If you're going to have hospitality, Make sure what you're putting out there, you're cool with everybody enjoying. All of us. Verse 9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Ain't that the truth, right? We've all been there. <laughs> We've been the fool on the other end too, by the way. I, I, I was many times in my life, I, I'm, I'm sure when I was younger, people were like, just don't even say a word. He ain't going to listen. You're not going to listen anyway. Don't waste your time giving counsel to someone that refuses to listen. I'm not saying to never give counsel. You don't know if they could. You've got to have a first time. So there are times when you say to someone, hey, can I share with you? And if you can tell at some point they're like, all they're doing is putting up a wall. Solomon's saying here, don't, don't continue to waste your time giving counsel to someone who refuses to listen to it. If you were trying to you know, meet with someone and say, I, I want to help disciple you, and they say, I'm going to listen, but I'm not going to do anything you say. Well, after some point you realize that's probably not going to be a good use of your time. Even Jesus told the disciples that they would bring the love and truth of the gospel, but they would also have to know when to dust off their feet and move on, right? So there were times where he said, dust off your feet, 
Do not cast your pearls among swine, he said. Even Jesus standing there before the Pilate, at times he opened not his mouth. He had said enough. And sometimes we've said enough and you say, hey, I've already said what the Lord said, now the ball's in your court. That's okay to do sometimes. Yeah, now I think the Spirit should give us wisdom. You don't do that every time, the very first time, give, give people patience. But again, when you understand that a fool is someone who no matter how many times you've said it, they're not listening. Verse 10 and 11, moving on. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. This is all about taking advantage of people for your own gain. Sometimes businesses do it, sometimes corporations do it, but sometimes individuals do it. Taking advantage of people for your own gain. Proverbs, the, when you think about a proverb, God gave all these to Solomon, a proverb, you ever seen a cow chew its cud? A proverb by design. Remember, every proverb, if it's wisdom, it comes from who? God alone. So the proverb comes from God to Solomon in this case, and then it comes to us. But a proverb by design is meant to be chewed on like a, a stick of gum. You just keep chewing it and chewing it and chewing it until you've got every bit of flavor out of it. Now, the way it works with God is that gum will never lose the flavor. The longer you chew it, it actually will have more flavor, which is kind of the opposite. I was just chewing a stick of gum a little bit earlier tonight, and it, it went like this, and then it tailed off with rather quickly. About six minutes, it was cool, and after that, it was like rubber. But not a proverb. You can chew on these things. So in other words, I can't touch everything tonight. I'm just, if you chewed on these longer, you would re eventually you would connect by the Holy Spirit to another verse over here, another verse over here, another passage over here, another situation over here. So that's the way Proverbs work. Solomon would throw them out there, and people would then take them and you know, maybe you know, tilling the field, thinking about it over and over again. What did he mean by that? Because he said a lot of wise things that he would be like, you figure it out. I'll cut the baby in half. You know, whatever. You know, he'll, he'll, fig he'll say things like that, and you're like, what? Is he getting at? And Jesus would do things like that too. He would throw out things and have people ponder them. Parables he would put them in. So they'd be chewed on. So just kind of keep that in your mind. Um, but Proverbs, they were to be chewed on, get that full flavor. And this, these are verse, uh, verses 10 and 11, not to remove the ancient landmark, not to enter the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. God has a heart for the fatherless. And those that mistreat them will answer to God for it if they die in that condition. But we're not to have that. We're, we're to have a heart, a real heart for people. Do, those of you that are online, those of you here, do you have a heart? Do you care for the fatherless? Really, do you pray for the fatherless? Do you, do you reach out to the fatherless, the single parents, the, the kids at Bonaire, the Hilliard House ministry, things like that? Do you have a heart for the fatherless? Do you look for how can I help people? How do you treat the people you come in contact with? I, I, I saw a terrible example of this. I can't give it right now, uh, where I saw someone, I'm like, unbelievable. But I just, just it registers... When you run into people that are, that are 
scanning your groceries or, or um, you know, giving you your food at the table. Treat them like Jesus would treat them. Jesus sees all the problems they have. He came for the poor and the downtrodden. The people that are working three jobs, come alongside them. They need somebody to really show them some love. And, and then the gospel, of course, it was the down and out people that received the gospel the most because they needed something. They, the world didn't love them. So Jesus has a heart for the broken. He has a heart for the fatherless. He has a heart for the hurting. The question is, do we? We need to. Moving on, verses 12 through 14. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child. Every kid hates this passage. For, kids want to cut this one out of the way. For if you beat him he will, with a rod, he will not die. Solomon, this seems really harsh, by the way. For you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Yeah, hell's in the Bible, folks. Whether we want to kind of forget that it exists, it is there. Bottom line, if we're not disciplined ourselves and we're not responding obediently to God's discipline in our lives, we surely won't provide the right discipline and the right correction to our kids. We all agree with that? If we're not being disciplined by God, there's no way we're going to apply the right discipline with our kids, the right measure of it. And all discipline isn't applied the exact same way. Just like the laws, the Ten Commandments, had different punishments for different violations. When your kid forgets to throw their plate in the dishwasher, is not, you're grounded for a year! Right? That'd be a way overreach. And if we don't discipline, though, if we don't discipline our children, we've abandoned them to be destroyed by their own flesh and by the world. If we don't discipline them, it's like abandonment. Correction and boundaries and consequences are good. They save the next generation, and the generation after that, and the generation after that, they save the next generation a lot of unnecessary heartache and pain. And by the way, corporal discipline, which Solomon's talking about here, corporal discipline is to be applied when the kids are really, really young, like this big. Really, really young. A couple of swats, and they get it. Try to do that when they're six foot four, and you're going to get it. Right? This was not, you know, as a matter of fact, if people that discipline corporally their kids too old, they damage the relationship maybe for years. But if you do it when they're little guys and little tiny kids, then it's, then it's received. And then you move on to other, then you move to, all right, you lose consequences. Then you move on to, all right, you are grounded from this. You move with their age, with their mental, uh, does this make sense? I mean, this was not about, you know, um, and I've seen this abused way back in time, in a legalistic time when, you know, people are beating like 16-year-old kids and stuff like that, and they wonder why the kids wouldn't talk to them the next 50 years. That would be why. That's not what he's talking about. A child. It says correction from a child. Pretty clear. Child. 
Not teenager, not, you know. So take that with a grain of salt. But later on, those consequences grow as they grow because um, you do have to have boundaries. You do have to have the correction. By the way, only Satan would discourage us from disciplining our kids. Only Satan would say, hey, no rules at all. Anything goes. That's what he tells our society, right? Anything goes. Whatever you feel like doing, you do it. What if happens if what I feel like doing has direct conflict with what you have do, do, feel like doing? Well, then we have crimes. That's what happens. It's not just a disagreement. It's a full-on, well, I totally disagree. I totally agree. I'll drive by and shoot you. I'll drive by and shoot you. There you go. That problem solved, right? And then, of course, that never stops. It keeps going and going and going. Picking it up where, where we left off, verse 15. We're going to uh, hop scotch two passages because I'm going to link, uh, like Solomon will be on a topic, and then, because these are just kind of positioned and put in there, but that doesn't mean that that's exactly the way they were dictated as they were assembled. But anyway, verse 15 through 16, then we'll also read verse 22 through 25, and then we'll come back to the passages we just skipped over. So follow me, uh, verse 15 my son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. Don't you want that from your kids? When your lips speak right things. Now, uh, drop down uh, to verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Don't think when your parents get old that you know way more than them. That's basically what that is saying. Um, buy the truth and do not sell it. In other words, once you know the truth, hold on to it. Don't ever give up the truth. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Verse 25, let your father and mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Your dad's begot you, but your mother's bore you. So Solomon's kind of explaining, all right, parents, did I skip one here? Lie on the right spot here. Here we go. There we go. Um, so verse 15 and 16, 25 and 22 and 25, the joy of children walking in wisdom and truth. When we see our children walking in the wisdom of God, when we see them led by the Holy Spirit, it brings a joy that will never be found in achievements. Uh, so many parents, they live from achievement to achievement to achievement. My kid did this. My kid did this. Uh, Facebook, you know, and I'm not, we all celebrate, you guys do, I do. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying, you're not getting joy because of their achievements. You appreciate it. But the real joy is where's their walk with Jesus? And there is a difference. The Apostle John said it. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now he's talking about his spiritual children. I'm a spiritual child of Pastor Chuck Smith. I really am. And, and all of you that came up through Cal the Calvary Chapel movement, maybe you are as well. But but. But it still applies to parents and children too. I, as a father, no greater joy that my three daughters would be walking in truth, them walking in it, not me dragging them in it, but them walking in it. 
And this only really brings you joy. The unsaved world, they don't really care if their kids are walking in Jesus. They want them to achieve. No, no, no. When you meet someone, you'll find out really quick what they're all about. What their job, their career, uh, my kid this, my kid that, my kid this. You know, they say, where are they going to spend eternity? I don't know about that. I just know that they just bought a brand new house. It's an $800,000 home. It's got this, got that. Aren't you impressed? Nope. Nope, not impressed, because God's not impressed. That's just, that's just, you know, that's just raw materials to him. It only brings us joy. It only brings us joy to see that this would be the greatest thing that we'd want in our kids if we're abiding in Christ and we're walking in the Spirit. So parents, we have to walk in the Spirit, so we are walking in truth that we would actually have this as our highest priority in their life, that they would be walking in truth. And admonishment encouragement and warning to our children is very important. And, and what Solomon says here is, uh, by the way, we're to honor our parents for the entire length of their life. Even if they become old with dementia, we still are to honor them even in that state. Because all of us are kids here. We're all somebody's kids. And so this isn't just to the children. This is all of us, as Jesus calls us children. We're all to honor parents all the way to the end. And parents, we're to keep being examples to the children by love and truth and, and our commitment to Christ. And all of us, kids, middle age, up, we're all to remain teachable even as we mature. Our parents can still teach us something. I can still receive from my mom and dad, and I can still receive from spiritual parents in my life. Everyone in this room should remain teachable. And by the way, mature people that are walking in truth always remain teachable. I'm not saying perfect at it, but mature, growing in Jesus people always remain teachable and grow in love. Ephesians 6.2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That's a good promise. Uh, the promise is that we would have a long life on this earth. And most people, uh, that will actually honor your father and mother. You don't really ever see that on the list of doctors thinking, all right, get this amount of exercise, take your multivitamin, eat really good. It should say honor father and mother in the same list, but no one ever says that. You don't hear any doctors say it. You don't hear anyone say it, but Dr. Solomon is telling you this. And the scriptures itself tell us that. Moving on, um, we read those. Let's jump back to verse 17. We had to skip 17 and 18 because those two passages were, uh, that we read were linked to the same theme. But back to verse 17. Do not let your heart be. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. No matter how awesome people's lives look, no matter how fun their lives look, no matter how much money they're acquiring, no matter how popular they are at work, in the neighborhood, in the community, there is zero, listen online, there is zero reason for us as believers to envy their lives. I'm not saying that the temptation doesn't hit us sometimes. It does. We all get hit with it. We all sometimes like... Man, why can't I just do that? Asap struggled with this in Psalm 73. You can read the whole chapter. He was a godly man. He really struggled. He said, man, they, it, like, everything goes right for them in the world. 
they, they're on easy street. I mean, I, I get attack after attack after attack, and they just smooth sailing right on through. He saw a life of ease, and he's like, why can't I have that life of ease? Here's a part of it up on the screen. When I thought, but then God took him to the end of the age, all the way to the end of the age, the great white throne judgment where God literally casts people. There is a judgment. There is a hereafter. There is a lake of fire. Solomon already mentioned the word hell once. When I thought how to understand it, he couldn't understand why his life was so difficult and their life was on easy street. It was too painful for me. It was, it was, it was actually wearing him down. It was bumming him out. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. God's like, let me take you to the end of the age. It's going to give you a little perseverance. Then I understood their end. Then he actually felt sorry for them as opposed to envying them. And you and I should have compassion for people that are that blinded. They're that blinded. You know, I, worked for, um, I worked for Microsoft for, um, what, 13 years or so? And you know, you know, I, I got to meet um, you know, I, I was at places where Bill Gates... I actually I, I did a filming in the same studio that he used to film in. I was really cool. I'm like, this is where Bill does his fireside chats, and I'm filming right here. And I met Steve Ballmer and got a chance to talk to him, and he now owns the, the Los Angeles Clippers. And I remember and just thinking back, and these guys are worth 80, what, like 50 million and 130, not million, billion, like 50-some billion and 130 billion. And then I hear just this week that he's, Bill and Melinda are getting a divorce. And he just realized that money never addresses the soul. Never addresses the soul. We know that the Bible tells us in James uh, 4.14, what is your life? It is but, did I got that one up there? Let me put it up there now. Yeah. What is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Poof. Our life is as fast as tonight's service. We've got like just a few minutes, you know, eight, ten minutes left, and boom. Randy Alcorn said this. I have it up on the screen here. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. He who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity He's moving daily toward his treasures. To him, death is gain. People that are lost and just pursuing, 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 they're backing away from their treasure and don't even know it. We're actually moving toward. I'm closer than this service started, and so are you if you're saved, to actually eternity on streets of gold with Jesus. Keep your perspective. Keep that eternal perspective. Jesus said it this way. He said, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He said, or, or in heaven, he said, later the Bible says Lamb's Book of Life. But the question, Jesus said, you don't have a reason to rejoice? Yes, you do. Your name is written in heaven. You can't buy that on Wall Street. You can't get that from corporate America. You can't get in on the ground floor of something. You have to be saved. And then your name is written. Moving on. Verse 26. Because remember we did the other little uh, section up through 25. Verse 26. Starting verse 26 through verse 28. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit. 
and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. In the New Testament alone, again, I'm sorry, I have headings up here if you look up or you're taking notes. There's headings for each one of these passages. Uh, in the New Testament alone, lust is mentioned about 30 times. In the New Testament alone. Just, and I didn't even look at the Old Testament in this one. Uh, close to half of those times are directly, directly related to sexual lust. Immorality is mentioned in the New Testament another 18 times. Lewdness, which means unbridled lust, is another nine times. Fornication, 15 times. Some of those fornication are actually metaphors in the book of Revelation of the false church having fornication with the world. So just kind of keep in mind that some of those are more uh, metaphors for false religion, uh, but actually painting itself as the church. And we see that uh, Jesus talks about the Jezebel in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, Adultery is mentioned another 23 times, along with all the other sexual sins. Uh, some of them are enumerated, and our country has a lot of them, and so does the rest of the world. They're all in there too. The enemy has some kind of sexual sin for everybody. Would you guys agree with that? He has some, the Baskin Robbins of sexual flavors. The enemy has something for everybody and a victim for everybody and handcuffs and chains and a dungeon for everybody at the end of it all. We just read, I, I just read this week, I read of missionaries, uh, literally, I, I never read this article until this week uh, because it's kind of a new phenomenon, but missionaries in third world countries where there's no Technology. People don't have TVs, but they have phones, and the men there are addicted to porn. These are on deserted islands where there's no technology because they can get charged on a phone on a generator, and once the phone is just charged, they can download a bunch of stuff to the hard drive of the phone, and they have it. And so they have another thing to break through in addition to all the other things <clears throat> when you bring the gospel to a place that needs the gospel. Sorry, I got pollen these days. Anyone else dealing with pollen? Uh, so lust and being led away by sexual desires outside of God's design and biblical marriage is a big problem in all of human history. This isn't new. <clears throat> the Greeks and Romans had it. Babylonians, the Egyptians. <clears throat> lust, a big problem. Many people will never come to Christ or they'll be led away from Christ. As I mentioned that uh, Jesus said that Jezebel woman who called herself a prophetess in Revelation 2, she, he said she seduced people into sexual immorality, which is what Solomon's talking about, someone who is a seductress or someone who is seducing. But men or women can do the seducing. It's not like this is a women thing. Men and women both can be guilty of this. There really are people that would try and, they don't know that they're being used by the enemy, but they would try and bring your life down to to ruins, but that's not the way they think of it. They just think, I just want to enjoy whatever I want to do, you know. And many people will never come to Christ, and people will be led away from Christ as they choose sexual sin and their own desires over allowing God to transform them from their desires and purify their desires. Because God can purify our desires. That's what he does. And lives are destroyed in a myriad of ways, and marriages are broken, and kids are left angry, and insecure, and reeling, and babies are aborted, and killed because people 
following their lust rather than surrendering to God. Now, I'm not pointing a finger like, oh, I did all this before I was saved. I'm not saying that, and again, even after salvation, you still have to guard yourself. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. That's for everybody. These verses warn us of how vulnerable anybody is and that traps are laid. Joseph loved God and Satan tried to, he, he worked Joseph day and night with Potiphar's wife. You don't think Satan would come after you? Joseph's way higher on the spiritual echelon than all of us here. He's going to outrank all of us. Pretty sure of that. But he didn't succumb to it because he kept his eyes on the Lord. He kept his eyes. God purified his desires and he refused, even, even if it cost him big time. And by the way, in our society, the focus these days, lately the focus has been on sexual assaults and sexual pressure, and which I agree with. Anyone that has sexually assaulted someone, yeah, throw the book at them. You know, anyone that is pressuring people, I get it. But do you realize that there's still a lot of, on both ends, seducing and stuff going on? Solomon wasn't unaware that he knew exactly. He, like, do you think that men are inherently really, really bad and women are like only this bad? No, both sides contribute to things. And I'm not talking about forcible rape or things like that. That carried the death penalty in the Old Testament. Forcible rape carried the death penalty. That's how much God considered it a big, like with, with murder. But seduction is real, and people that seduce will be just as judged as people that abuse. At the end of the age, the great white throne, seducers and abusers all will be at this, in a bad place. So God wants to, but God wants to change all those hearts. He wants to um, do a work of refining. And so Solomon's just warning, hey, my son, you know, this is this is this is a real temptation. Lust can only be overcome by abiding in Jesus. Lust is overcome by abiding in Jesus. He'll you won't need porn, you won't need all this other, you won't need to seduce people. You'll have contentment in Christ. He'll satisfy and protect. Your marriage will become richer and deeper and sweeter because your fulfillment is purified by God and protected by God. Last thing tonight, last verses. Can we do it? You guys got five minutes in you? All right. I, yes or no? I, I, this is a lot to cover, but I, I, somehow we're going to do it. Verse 29. Um, let's see here. Let me go back to verse 19 as well. Look at verse 19. Uh, um, we had to hopscotch that one also. Verse 19, hear my son and be wise and, be, uh, and guide your heart in the way. Verse 20, do not mix with wine bibbers. We don't use that term that much anymore, right? Or gluttonous eaters. You know, and you've never gone to see a bunch of people drinking up. Look at the wine bibbers over there. You don't really say that. But uh, gluttonous eaters of meat. Some of you lovers of steak are scared about this one, right? Uh, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Pick it up with verse 29, because we're stitching two passages together related uh, to kind of a similar theme. Uh, Verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, uh, do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper. 
Your eyes will see strange things. Yeah, that's true. And your heart will utter perverse things. I've seen that. Um, yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of a mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. You see guys brawling in a bar. They're both drunk. No, no, they don't feel anything, right? Um, I have not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wait that I may seek another drink? Um, it's true. Remember, he starts off, Hear my son, be wise, and guide you in the way. Do not mix with wine bibbers. So he starts off with the company you keep. Solomon speaking to his son. Um, it's true that we do become the, uh, the company we keep. Um, if we hang out with people that are disciplined, spirit-filled disciples, we more than likely will grow as disciplined, spirit-filled disciples. If we hang out with people with, that are really fleshly, guess what we're going to become? And, and already are if we want to hang out there, really, really fleshly. But worse, we'll, we'll actually descend, and Romans 1 talks about this, sin starts here, but actually gets more depraved over time. We become... You wonder, how do people, you guys that have ministered, I have as well, to homeless people, you wonder how they got there sometimes. Now I understand that sometimes there's all kinds of other circumstances of mental health and PTSD, and all, but there's also just they start out, I started drinking when I was 16. And then it led to this, then it led to this, then it led to this, and then it was needed hard drugs. And now I can't even survive unless I'm pumping this in my veins. Now gluttony, we'll come back to the uh, alcohol in just a second, Gluttony isn't mentioned a lot in the Bible, only like a handful of times. Like I want to say three or four times in the whole Bible is the word gluttony. Like three or four times in the whole Bible. Hardly ever mentioned. I really believe the reason why gluttony is hardly, hardly ever mentioned in the Bible, it's been rare in all of world history that you would even have the opportunity to be a glutton. We live in the one smack bullseye time where to be a glutton is really easy. Right now. To be an American in the year 2021... Most of world history, everyone was dirt poor except for a little thin layer at the top. Most people were scrounging just to, I mean, they were eating field onions just to survive. The opportunity to be a glutton wasn't that. In Solomon's day, Israel became super wealthy and everyone had a lot. That's why it's mentioned here. It's not mentioned a lot in the Bible. So we are really at risk in this country of being gluttons because we can just open the cabinet and grab all we want. And sometimes we do, if we're all honest with ourselves. Right? But they didn't have, most people in history haven't had that. But of course, also in our country, the alcohol flows in our country. It's a massive industry. Budweiser, whiskey companies, wine companies, wineries. Every, the, the alcohol flows in our country and the advertising flows with it. And many people now, I know people, you know people, I've known people that cannot even have a good time unless they have a drink involved. Somehow someone has to be part of the experience or they can't even have a good time. The destruction though is undeniable. These are some, um, oh, by the way, there's the text uh, or the heading for this one, heeding the warning of gluttony and alcohol dependence and destruction. And uh, these are statistics that um, I forgot to put the source up there. I'll put them up there. Um, uh, I've totally forgot it now, but I'll put it up there for Sean. We'll get it up there. So for on the posting on the website, we'll have the source listed there. But uh, you can see 95,000 people die every year from alcohol related. 60% of the people during COVID-19 lockdowns have increased their alcohol consumption. It's a coping mechanism for a massive percentage of our country. I can't go through all the statistics there, but you can see them. Um, there's just a ton 
of damage due to the alcohol abuse, uh, not just this country, around the world. Now, I don't want you... It is not a sin to have a drink of alcohol. I'm not telling you that. It's not. It's not a sin to have a drink of alcohol. But you better read the warning label from God. <laughs> this is God's warning label. You don't need the Surgeon General's warning label. God, you have the spiritual, wonderful counselor giving you a warning. And he said, Solomon, write this down. Now, I don't want you to miss this fact, and we're going to close on this, I promise, but I want you to get this. Don't miss the fact that of the entire Bible, where this is hammered home, 1 Kings tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom that was like the sand of the seashore. You don't meet many people that have wisdom. Think about all the sand of the seashore. God gave him this incredible amount of wisdom. More than, it even says in 1 Kings that he had more wisdom than all the men and all the scholars of all of Egypt and all of the known kingdoms in that area. Combined. He was smarter than like thousands of men combined. They were actually the smartest men in the world. And he actually ran circles around everybody with not just intelligence, but wisdom. Wisdom only comes from God. Kings came from all over the world just to hear him talk on any subject. Any subject. And the heavy majority of what Solomon wrote regarding wine and alcohol fell in the category of warning, danger, destruction, and deceptive. That is what Solomon said. For the most part, it's carnage. That was his view. The wisest man that ever lived said, if you want me to sum it up, you guys are playing with fire. You can play with the lighter and use it wisely to light your fire, but use it that way. Don't be t putting gasoline on the fire to, to grill the hamburger. Does that make sense? So he's saying, just, just take it and understand that it is... Dangerous. Not everything he writes, by the way, is anti-wine. He actually doesn't say everything. He actually has some verses that talk about you know, wine with a meal or something like that. So not everything is anti-alcohol. But we'll never be able to blame God for our misuse of it and our addictions to it and our dependence and the unnecessary pain due to that. We'll never be able to blame God because he pre-warned, say, extreme moderation, extreme moderation, extreme moderation. Oh, by the way, when you reach the time in 2021 where your country has lots of food, don't eat to your heart's content either because that's really bad for your health as well. We'll never be able to blame God. The warning is clear and it's comprehensive. Uh, I don't agree with everything that the uh, early St. Jerome uh, believed theologically. I, I, believe a, I agree with a lot of things that Jerome, but not everything. But I do, thought this, I, I do think this sentence uh, or this um, couple of words that he wrote to the people of that day, I'm going to say in the 3rd or 4th century, I only regard that drinkers should observe that limit which their age, their health, and their constitution requires. So take a lot of things into consideration. But if without drinking wine at all, I am aglow with youth. Because he said, look, uh, we, we're pretty sure that Paul and others thought it was more risky than it was valuable because he told Timothy, go ahead and have some wine for your stomach. But we can best understand that Paul was saying on a normal case, I just stay away from like a Nazarite vow. Like Jesus was a Nazarite. Samson was supposed to be one. I'm not telling you that it's a sin to have a glass of wine. I'm not saying that. Or you want a beer with a meal. But I'm simply saying that the apostles and some of the early saints said, the risk outweighs the reward. And for many, he said, I'm, I'm aglow with youth. I will readily forego the cup in which I cannot speck but poison. Which is similar to what Solomon was saying. He said, the weight of it is not great. So just keep all, you know, 
why would I sell that? Just to, you know, just test it with the Lord. So I know some strong believers that love a glass of wine with a steak. And good, I'm, I'm in great fellowship with them. I have no problem. But understand the warning label from Scripture, that is. Um, what we all want to be, and we'll close with this, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled with, which is dissipation or excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. When we're filled and walking with the Spirit, it'll give us wisdom in all the things that we looked at tonight. And we looked at a lot. Congratulations, we did 35 verses tonight. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this time and your word. And Lord, we pray that as we leave here, we leave in your grace, walking in your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.